the preparation of this message has been taxing on me. And um, it's because I, I, I feel like the reason that it's been taxing, the reason it's been a struggle for me to prepare is because it has been taught wrong probably more than any other topic that you can draw out of the Bible. Well, maybe other than salvation, I'm not sure. But it's been taught wrong a lot, and you can hear it taught wrong anytime you want to turn on the TV. And so it's been misused and misapplied. And I feel like because of that, a lot of biblical churches tend to avoid the topic. So it's either taught way heavy and way wrong or not taught enough. And so here I am on the topic of money. And specifically, your giving and how you handle your money. So pray with me as I pray that um, God would give me boldness and God would give me clarity as I teach this topic. Father, I thank you, God, this morning uh, for your abundant mercy, uh, for your grace that's been given to us, for allowing us here to gather, to gather in your name. I thank you for Randy's teaching this morning and the reminder of how sin affects my life and how I should deal with that. And God, I just pray as we go through your word, as we look at your purpose for us and for our finances, God, that you would just grant us great wisdom and that you would grant us a heart that loves you even more, that you would help us to realize all that we have belongs to you. All that we have is a gift from you. And help us, above all, to be thankful this morning for the great price you've paid for us. In Jesus' name, amen. So the topic is necessary. It's not one that I've looked forward to, to preaching about at all, but it is necessary for several reasons. One of those reasons is it's biblical. It's taught clearly in scriptures that Christians are to give to God or give to the church. So it's a biblical concept and it's a necessity of the church. This does not, the church cannot operate without some kind of funding. The way God has chosen to fund his church is through its people. So that's one. The second thing is, the reason that it's necessary to teach it is there's a lot of confusion or ignorance in regards to how we give to the church. There's a lot of just, I mean, a lot of people just don't know. I was one of those. When I, when I, I was raised, some of you know, some of you don't, I was raised in a kind of a legalistic manner, legalistic church. And I, I never, we never were taught any kind of biblical giving, really. My parents did. They gave. I know. I have no idea how much. But then I got married to a Baptist girl, and we had many disagreements, theologically speaking. But we had already talked. And it, it, it's a long story. I don't have time to go into the whole my whole testimony. But we had already talked about we would be going to my church because I thought our church was the only way to heaven. 
And she was submissive in that. I don't recommend that pattern, but God's providence brought us through it. But when we first got married, I had just graduated college. I had my first good pain. I say good pain. I'm a teacher, so you can take that for what it is. But it was more than I was making when I was in college. And we had some money. We get married. I'd been teaching two or three months. And so right after we get married, first paycheck comes in, and she wants to tithe it. Tithe? Ten percent? And she's like, yeah. So here I am. Now, I'm an unbeliever at the time. I was a false convert at the time. Okay, I know this now. But in my position at the time, I thought I was the spiritual one, right? I hadn't given anything. If I did, it was like $20 here or $20 there, and I felt really good about myself. And she's all of a sudden wanting to give 10% of that first paycheck. Now, teachers get paid once a month, so that's a big check. And So what am I going to do? I'm going to say, no, we're not doing that. I'm supposed to be the spiritual one. So I was, here's what I did. I said, okay. Well, I was trapped. And so I tithed for several, maybe a whole year of my life out of basically pride that I wouldn't admit that I didn't think I should or I didn't want to because I, ha- I was supposed to be the spiritual one. So there's a lot of people who just have not studied, have not been taught the topic and, and by the way, I praise God for that because that established a pattern in our life to where now it, it, it just, it's without saying. It just comes naturally. So anyway, so there is a lot of confusion. And this goes beyond the giving, but it, it is also part of the giving. There's a lot of bad money management amongst Christians. All of a sudden you get saved. God starts working on your sin but it's not immediate that all of a sudden your bad patterns of spending go away. It's not all of a sudden that, I mean, it doesn't just happen immediately that your priorities all get in line with Scripture and some of the things that you spend money on that maybe are not necessary fall away. He does teach us that as we grow in sanctification, and one of the ways he does that is through the preaching of the Word. So hopefully we can look at that as we um, as we go through this today. So let's take a look at what the Bible has to say about money. Look at 1 Timothy chapter 6. And there's lots of scriptures. I won't be able to cover them all today. But 1 Timothy 6, verse 10 and 11. He says, For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evils. It is through this craving that some have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many pangs. But as for you, O man of God, flee these things. Pursue righteousness, godliness, faith, love, steadfastness, and gentleness. Now let's make something clear here because it's been mistaught, it's been mis. Um, interpreted or, or, or just the thought of it has been wrong. Money is not the root of all evil, if you'll notice that. It's the love of money, and it's the root of all kinds of evil. If you look at the verse in context, back up to verse 9, he says, Those who want to be rich, however, 
fall in temptation and become ensnared by many foolish and harmful desires that plunge them into ruin and destruction. So how you view money is what we're really talking about here. That's what's going to be the overarching thing of this whole message is how you view it. Do you want to make money so that you can take care of your family, so that you can glorify God with it, so you can use it to advance his kingdom and take care of your necessities? Or do you want to be rich? And that's all here. It's all here. And, and the, even the definition of rich is going to be different to some than others. Right? I mean, if everybody in this room in certain parts of the world is already rich financially. But what is your heart's desire? Is it to have more than everybody else? That's what we've got to look at is the heart of the matter. Second Thessalonians 3, verse 10 he says, for even while we were with you, we gave you this command. Oh, what I'm saying here is the way that you get this money is to work. And that seems to be a concept that's lost in our culture. And I thought about this. It's almost like this is a separate sermon in itself, so I'm not going to spend a lot of time here. But I think it's necessary to address it at least briefly. He says, while we were with you, we gave you this command if anyone is unwilling to work, he shall not eat. Yet we hear that some of you are leading undisciplined lives and accomplish nothing but being busybodies. We command and urge such people by our Lord Jesus Christ to begin working quietly to earn their own living. What has happened in our culture that work has become a bad thing? It's kind of starting to drive me crazy. Work is not a bad thing. I remember hearing it preached a lot when I was young. And everybody thinks about heaven and what it's going to be like. And people think, oh, I'll get bored. No, you're going to work there. I remember hearing it taught that I don't mind working so bad. I just don't like getting tired. Well, that's what it's going to be like in heaven. We're still going to get to work. If you go back to the beginning, the first chapter of Genesis... What did God do for Adam before the fall of man? He gave him a garden and told him to tend to it. Work is a good thing. God does work. We model that. We're made in the image of God. Working is a good thing. And it's, it's really a privilege to be able to work. If you have the capability to go to work or to, to even do things, get out of the house, then that's a privilege. That's a blessing from God. But we're in a culture now, I remember when I was in college, and this is 15 years ago, so it's, even, it's, it's advanced farther than this. I worked in a warehouse in college, and it was, we, we tore down engine containers for Mercruiser. So we'd have to break them apart and clean them, greasy, and it was just kind of a nasty job, and it was hot during the summer, you'd be sweating, you know, not, not a lot of air moving in a warehouse. And this guy, his, his goal in life, we would talk, his goal in life was to have a job that when he got off work, he could go out with his friends without having to go home and take a shower. That was his goal. And I thought, huh, that's interesting. Why is it wrong to get dirty with work these days? Everybody wants a nine-to-five office job. Well, somebody's got to produce something. Somebody's got to get creative and build something and make something, a product. 
Somebody's got to grow food. I, I'm being an agriculturalist. I deal with this. I see this. It's a problem. We have a shortage of farmers, a bad shortage. The average age is 72 of a farmer in the United States, which means the 72-year-olds are out working the 30-year-olds. And I'd take a, I'd, I'd bet that every time. Why? Because we've lost this work ethic in our culture. And nobody wants to take the time to excel. Everybody wants to be advanced right now. Put your due time in. Learn a trade. Learn a skill. Earn your way. And when you get to that, then you'll make more money. Is that bad? No. Earning more money. And, and I think sometimes in, 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 in the church, we get, this, we get this flipped over on its head sometimes. Um, because we are called to sacrifice. And we're called to live a different kind of life. And, and by living a Christian life, there's going to be certain things that you won't um, compromise. And there's going to be certain positions that you'll never have because of your honesty, because of your integrity, because of your unwillingness to sacrifice your family and your time with the Lord and your church and those kind of things. But that we can't confuse that and, and say that that means we cannot seek a better job. We can't seek to better ourselves financially. There's nothing wrong with that as long as you keep that into perspective with what God has done. And so it's important to understand hard work is a necessary thing. It's a good thing, and it's a privilege. And through your work, I, I just saw a quote this morning. I maybe shouldn't even try it because I may mess it up. It was, it was Luther. Where's OB? OB, you know what it is. It was, um, oh, it was about a shoemaker. I won't quote it, but I'll tell you the gist. He said, a shoemaker, a Christian shoemaker doesn't honor God by putting little crosses on the shoe. He honors God by making good shoes. And that's what we need to be. Whatever it is, wherever God has put you, honor him by doing it well and give him glory for that. Okay, so that's a little bit off topic, but it is necessary. So now that, now that you've worked and you've earned this money, what are we to do with it? How much of it is ours? How much of it is God's? How much should we give to God? Look at 1 Corinthians chapter 4. Chapter 4, verse 7. For who sees anything different in you? What do you have that you did not receive? If then you received it, why do you boast as if you did not receive it? Psalm 24, 1, the earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof, the world and those who dwell therein. It is a simple biblical concept that God owns it all. Everything you have is a gift to him. I was thinking about it as, as um, this morning. I was just thinking about, okay, well, what if, I mean, I know some people who have worked very hard to get where they are. That hard work came from God the intelligence that they were able to apply to whatever it is that they're doing came from God. The position that they were given in order to even be able to do that came from God. Everything you earn is a gift from Him. He owns it all. That's sovereignty. And so we know how much of it is yours? None. According to the Word of God, as a Christian, actually as anybody, He controls it all. But as a Christian, 
you should, you should know and understand 100% of what you have is a gift from him. We're bought with a price, right? We sang that this morning. We don't belong to ourselves anymore. We belong to him, so therefore everything we do own, he owns. So let's keep that in mind as we talk about Christian giving. We'll talk about the tithe. This term, I think some people will use it interchangeably with giving. Well, are you tithing? And they'll they'll say, how much do you tithe? That's kind of an oxymoron type question. The tithe means 10%. Okay, so if you tithe, you're giving 10% of your income to the church or to God. Um, and here's where it gets difficult for me because there's much disagreement between many solid Christians on this subject particularly um, as the place of tithing in the New Testament. So I did this whole week I've been reading, trying to get a hold on what the church in general believes on this subject Um, pastors different pastors um, there's lots of things you can read blogs and things of different pastors and how they view this different writers theologians both present and past commentators there's all kinds of different information you can get and here's the two views some will say that tithing is commanded of god's people before the law during the law and now after in the law after the law in this current age others would say that tithing is predominantly an old testament commanded and is not required as christians but giving is required and so this may be a disappointment but i'm not going to take either one of those stances today but god willing i am going to hopefully clear up some confusion as to why that confusion's there. And I'm going to leave you with God's word and the conviction of the Holy Spirit as to how you should handle your giving to the church. I'm going to leave you with God. That's a pretty good place to leave you. That's, that's my prayer. That's my hope. Um, so to do that, I am going to address tithing. Where it comes from, what it is. Tithing is found mostly in the Old Testament of the Bible. I'm going to go through these quickly for time's sake. Genesis 14 is the first place we see tithing as an example. Abram was going after, he goes to war. Um, His nephew Lot had been kidnapped. I think the king's name was Keladron or something like that. But this king had kidnapped Lot. Abram goes after him fights a war to, to gain Lot back, wins the war, takes all the spoils. And on his way back now, he, God won him the war. As with any time you win a war, if you win it, it's based on God. But Abraham, or Abram at the time, he knew that. He realized that. He was outmanned, outgunned, and he went and won the war. And on his way back, he runs into this king called Melchizedek. Or this, he was a priest of the Most High God. And that's several sermons in itself as to who Melchizedek is, and there's there's another lot of discussion on that. But we know this, he was a priest of the Most High God. And Abram gave him 10% of the spoils of the battle. 
10% of the spoils of the battle. So everything that he had just got, he gives him 10%. Now, later on in the law, there's not a lot of mention of spoils in the battle. But he did it. Abram gave him the money as a token of gratitude for a great victory God had just given him. Remember, he was fighting to free Lot. He wasn't after spoils. That came secondary. He was after getting his nephew back from capture. And he did it, and he was great. He, was, he had this great gratitude for God. So the, the pattern here, and this is important that we get this, what we see Abram doing here is responding to not what God was going to do for him. He was not giving this in a way to try to manipulate God or get God's favor. He was giving this as a result of what God had already done for him. Keep that in your mind. This 10% that Abraham gave was a result of what God had already done for him. The next place we see it, I actually preached on it the last time, was when Jacob saw a vision of God and the ladder to heaven. And God was starting to unveil himself. He was starting to open Jacob's eyes to his sovereignty. And at this point, Jacob was starting to realize that all of these blessings came from God. God was in control of it all. And he promised to give a tenth of all that God gives him back to God. And so realizing that it all belongs to God, the tenth that Jacob promised is a pledge and reminder to him that it is all God's and at his, God's, disposal. And then we get to Moses' time when the law is established and tithing was required. And I wish I had more time, but I'm going to go through these few verses and we're going to talk about them a little bit. Leviticus 27, 30 through 33, if you want to turn there. He says, All the tithe of the land, whether of the seed of the land, or of the fruit of the trees is the Lord's. So a tenth, 10% of everything that you have. It is holy to the Lord. If a man wishes to redeem any of this tithe, he shall add a fifth to it. And all the tithe of herds and flocks, every tenth animal that passes under the herdsman's staff, shall be holy to the Lord. So we're looking at everything that you own, a tenth of it is to be given back. Produce, crops, livestock, Meat, all of those things are to be given. A tenth of it belongs to the Lord. And then if you'll turn to Deuteronomy 14, verse 22. The point of all of this, it was required under the law. There's no doubt it was a commandment. But what I want to see is the principle of why God did this. What was the point of this whole thing. And I think we can get that here in Deuteronomy. Starting in verse 22, he says, You shall truly tithe all the increase of your grain that the field produces year by year. And you shall eat before the Lord your God in the place where he chooses to make his name abide, the tithe of your grain and your new wine and your oil of the firstborn of your herds and your flocks that you may learn to fear the Lord your God always. But if the journey is too long for you so that you are not able to carry the tithe or if the place where his name or where the Lord your God chooses to put his name is too far from you, 
when the Lord your God has blessed you. Then you shall exchange it for money, take the money in your hand, and go to the place which the Lord your God chooses. And you shall spend that money for whatever your heart desires, for oxen or sheep or wine or similar drink, for whatever your heart desires you shall eat. Therefore the Lord your God, and you shall rejoice, you and your house, you and your household. You shall not forsake the Levite who is within your gates, for he has no part nor inheritance with you. At the end of every third year, you shall bring out the tithe of your produce of that year and store it up within your gates. And the Levite, because he has no portion nor inheritance with you, and the stranger and the fatherless and the widow who are within your gates may come and eat and be satisfied that the Lord your God may bless you in all the work of your hand which you do. So there's a lot there. And so I hope to explain what's going on. Um, You notice the first few verses there, the point of the tithe. They were to gather up their tithe. They were to take their livestock, their grain, basically their food. There wasn't a lot of money exchange in this time. It was mostly goods, and there was bartering going on. Well, they were to take this stuff, and they were to go on a holy trip, a holy journey to where God was, later on it would be Jerusalem and the temple, and they would go, and what were they to do with it? They were to take it, cook it up, and eat it. And they were to give part of it to the Levites. So what is the point of that? It wasn't just a pragmatic way to feed the Levites, although that was accomplished. That was definitely important. That was part of the reason. But that wasn't it. It was meant to be a feast of joy with the Lord. That was the idea of the tithe that they were taking. They were going to commune with God and to commune with their fellow countrymen or God's people. And so John Piper wisely points out here that God did not need their tithe. He does not need it. It's his anyway, remember? He's given it to you. He can give it to somebody else. I mean, he can do what he wants. So he was not seeking what was theirs but them. And that's the nature of the Father. He's not seeking what is yours, but he's seeking you. He wants you. And Piper also points out there at the end of verse 23... When you look at that, it gives a reason that you may learn to fear the Lord your God always. He's teaching them through this process to remember how dependent they are on God and how much one should fear to displease such a God with joyless gratitude. He's not seeking yours, but he's seeking you. And he's teaching you that you're dependent on him. And when you realize that, when you believe that, when you accept that, the giving becomes necessary. The giving becomes easy. And then when you look towards the end, verses 28 and 29, at the end of every three years you shall bring forth... And he's making... A way to, he, there's three people there the sojourner, the, the, the traveler, 
the fatherless and the widow, the orphans. Right? We hear that later in the New Testament. True religion and undefiled is to care for the widows and the orphans. Why is that? They can't give anything back. This is a selfless act of giving. But what we see in Old Testament and what we see in New Testament giving is that tithes are given to God by giving them to people. You don't give it directly to God. He doesn't need it. But he is glorified, he is greatly glorified how we treat other people in his name. And that's what we need to keep in mind when we're talking about giving of our personal finances. Am I doing this to glorify God? Am I doing this, am I giving it to people who are going to use it to glorify God? Which, that's the whole idea of the church. You give it to the church and it's dispersed. Does that mean all your giving goes to the church? No. No, you're more, I mean, the fatherless, the widows, the travelers, give of yourself. And then he also points out here, I think, I think you can get this, you can glean this. He says at the end that the Lord your God may bless you in all the work of your hands that you do. Now, here's where the misteaching comes in heavily. This does not mean that when you give a little bit to God, he's going to return it threefold and he's going to bless you and make you rich no no that is not what it means it says and if you were here this morning we heard a little bit about what what it means to be blessed it's in favor of god he's not going to make us rich because we give and if that's the reason you're giving there's you you really need to examine your heart But he is going to supply our needs. I believe that. I believe that when you give to him and you trust in him, he will be faithful in that trust. Now, notice I said he's going to supply our needs. Sometimes we have to reevaluate what our needs are. I teach this in in school. I teach uh, because everybody thinks food is really high. They think, oh, yeah, grocery bills are really expensive. I'm teaching about food, I'm teaching about agriculture, and I'll say, well, let's compare that to what? And so I just do a breakdown of a normal, average household budget. Have you ever done that? Have you ever looked at your budget, broke it down, where you spend your money? If you haven't, you really should, because you'll be shocked at where some of your money goes. Just keep track of it for a month and see where it goes. Groceries are expensive, but... People will spend more, in some cases, will spend more on a cell phone slash internet slash cable than they do on meat. Is meat expensive? Which one's more necessary? Meat. Hey, give it up for a little while, huh? So, anyway, so what I'm saying is he's going to supply our needs. He's not going to supply our wants. He's not going to supply a, he's not going to make us rich, but he will meet your needs. And there there's many other scriptures in the Old Testament regarding this tithe, but I feel like I hope my prayer is that this lays the groundwork to move on to what we need to look at now as Christians living in this New Testament age. Jesus mentions tithing twice, Matthew 23, Luke 18. 
Both times he is referring to a legalistic abuse of the tithe. Um, and and we'll, we'll probably read them here in a minute. But this does confirm the tithe. Jesus does not say it's not necessary. Jesus does not say you shouldn't do it. But he clearly puts more emphasis on weightier matters of the law like justice, mercy, and faithfulness. Let's look at Matthew 23. Real quick. 23, verse 23, he says, Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you pay tithe of mint and anise and cumin and have neglected the weightier matters of the law, justice and mercy and faith. These you ought to have done without leaving the others undone. So he says you still do it, but you're neglecting the weightier matters of the of the law. In Paul's writing, he never mentions a specific tithe, um, but he does have something to say on giving. And there's several places. If you'll turn to Second Corinthians chapter nine, I think this the, these two verses nine chapter nine verse seven and eight, I think captures the heart of the issue really well. He says, "Each one must give as he has decided in his heart, not reluctantly." Or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. And God is able to make all grace abound to you, so that having all sufficiency in all things, all times, you may abound in every good work. God loves a cheerful giver. And so now we see this and we're left with the question, what are we to do with the money that God has given us? Hopefully you understand God has given it to you. If you're saying, if you're sitting in your seat and you're saying, God hasn't given me this, this is my money. I've worked hard for it, I've earned it, I'm not giving any of it. Then I would strongly urge you to examine your heart and see where you are with, with the Lord. But hopefully everyone is sitting there realizing that God does own it. And so... With that understanding, the cliche answer is that we use all of it to glorify him. I can just tell you, just use all your money to glorify him. Well, you that I mean, yes, but how do you do that? What does it look like? It doesn't really answer the question. We want to get down to the practical matter of the situation, right? So how much do we give to God? Should we tithe today? Is it required? Is it law? To answer this question, think back to Abraham or Abram at the time and how he gave a tenth of his spoils to the priest of the Most High God. Do you remember what I said, the principle we learned? I said, remember that. He gave the tenth, what? As a thank you for what God had just done for him in winning that battle. It was an act of worship. Thank you, God, for winning this physical, earthly battle for me. It was a recognition. It was an admittance, not only to God, but any of those around him. Look at this. this we did not win this. God won this war. I'm giving a tenth of it to him to show that, to prove that, to worship him, to thank him, and to proclaim to everybody else that that's the truth. So, we're in the New Testament. We haven't won. We haven't went. My nephew has not been 
kidnapped. I have not went to physical battle. So what do we do with that? Should our giving not follow the same principle? Should we not give as the same act of worship to thank God for what he has done for us? Is that not the model that Christ gave for us? He was rich, but for our sake became poor. Abraham gave a tenth of his spoils, and all he did was win a physical battle and give him a bunch of stuff and give him one one soul back, lot, one life saved. What has God done for us? He gave it all. It was not a physical battle. It was a spiritual one. And he fought it for us. He died. He died on a cross for our sins. So take that into account now. And ask yourself, how much do I give? As I was searching some of the people and, and their thoughts on it, I thought, I wonder what Spurgeon thought about giving. And so I did a little search on Spurgeon. And he said this of the rule of the tithe. He said, if there were any such rule laid down in the gospel, it would destroy the beauty of spontaneous giving and take away all the bloom from the fruit of your liberality. There is no law to tell me what I should give my father on his birthday. There is no rule laid down in any law book to decide what present a husband should make to his wife, nor what token of affection we should bestow upon others whom we love. No, the gift must be a free one, or it has lost all its sweetness. It is a heart issue. 